So they say that pride goes before a fall. And I found out, I looked up, that's actually biblical. That's in the book of Proverbs. One of those Proverbs is pride goes before a fall. And so I have experienced that to be true in a painful and embarrassing way. I finally had the courage to use as a sermon illustration this morning. So one day I was in middle school and our principal surprised us with all these inflatables and all these snacks and all these games in the gym as a reward for getting through state testing. Well, that's great, right? But here's the problem. Since it was a surprise, I was not dressed for the occasion. I showed up to school in a skirt for that day. Both my parents were working and they were unable to bring me a change of clothes, but I had a friend who came to the rescue. She had a bag of clothes. She was going to stay at a friend's house over school. So I borrowed a pair of her baggy sweatpants. You know, they were a size too big, but I thought, you know, this is going to be fine. I need something athletic to move around in to have fun with these inflatables, right? And so then this friend and I decide we're going to go on this inflatable obstacle course. If you've ever done one of these things, you go up, you go down, you go through things. It's a whole nine yards. And so I remember I was pretty prideful about the thing. I was confident. I was pumped. I knew I was going to go in. I was going to win. I was going to have a great time on this thing. It was the pride before my fall, friends. So again, we're climbing up things, we're going down things, the whole nine yards. And so there's one point on this inflatable where you have to jump through this inflatable wall. So there's just a little bit of an opening. And, you know, since it's inflatable, it'll let you through once you jump through to the other side. So here I am. I'm very confident. I'm going. I jump through. My pants don't make it with me. Yes. Yes, and so I realize what happened. I'm completely embarrassed, and my saving grace is there was only one teacher who wasn't even my teacher, so I never had to see her again, was the only person who actually saw what happened. But yet, there I was. I went from having all that pride, I was confident I was going to win this race, to the most embarrassing fall regardless. And so we see pride, we see fall, we see an embarrassing story in Daniel chapter 4. One that makes me feel better about the story I just told to you, I promise. So our story starts out with King Nebuchadnezzar, this guy, who is the king of Babylon. It's a place where Daniel and his friends had been exiled to. Nebuchadnezzar was a guy who respected God sometimes but thought really highly of himself other times. Pride was a huge part of who he was. He was this powerful king of a conquering nation after all. So we see Daniel chapter 4 opens up with the fact that a king, this king had a dream. He says in verses 4 and 5, While I, Nebuchadnezzar, was safe in my house, content in my palace, I had a terrifying dream. My thoughts while I was lying in bed and the vision in my mind overwhelmed me. So the king called all these wise men, all these sages in his kingdom, and they could not interpret the dream. So the king turns to Daniel or Belshazzar by his Babylonian name. And so the king describes his dream. He says he sees this tree, a huge tree, a beautiful tree, the most powerful and the most visible tree on earth, something to take great pride in. 
But then a voice from heaven says, cut it down, but leave the root so it doesn't die. And in verses 16 and 17, here is what Nebuchadnezzar says the voice tells will happen to this tree. Its human mind is to be changed. It will be given the mind of an animal. Seven periods of time will pass over it. The sentence is by the watcher's decree. This decision is by the Holy One's word, so all who live might know that the Most High dominates human kingship. The Most High gives kingship to anyone he wants and sets it over the lowest of people. So, of course, this is all weird and this is all confusing, but our friend Daniel knows exactly what this means and exactly what is going to happen. Daniel sees, oh, so quickly, your majesty, your majesty, you are this tree. You are great, you are powerful, but you are also very prideful. And as they say, pride goes before a fall. Daniel tells him, starting in verse 25, you will be driven away from the other humans and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and you'll be washed by dew from heaven. Seven periods of time will pass over to you until you acknowledge that the Most High dominates human kingship, giving it to anyone he wants. Therefore, your majesty, please, please accept my advice. Remove your sins by doing what is right. Remove your wrongdoing by showing mercy to the poor. Then your safety will be long-lasting. Basically here, Daniel warns him, if you continue in your pride, you will fall. If you do not listen to the ways of God, you will fall. If you continue to ignore the poor and the needy in your own pride, you will fall. And you will fall painfully and embarrassingly and you will be like an animal. And so I think we can guess pretty easily what happens here. Nebuchadnezzar does not listen, not in the least bit. Instead, he continues to build up all these fames and all these riches for himself. He continues to brag about how great and powerful he was. He continued to ignore the poor and the needy, instead using slave labor, abusing slave labor to build up all these buildings and palaces and great-looking things all for himself. He continued to ignore the teaching of God in his life. And instead, he just built that ego up and up and up and up. And then one day, he fell. One day, a year after this dream, he finds himself bragging on this great and powerful palace Built by slave labor, by the way, but this was a classic move for him. Look at how great I am in this palace that I have. God tells him, you ignored my warning. Now this is going to come true. We see in verse 33, Nebuchadnezzar's sentence was immediately carried out. He was driven away from other humans and ate grass like cattle. Dew from heaven washed over his body until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his claws like a bird. Embarrassing, right? He is outcast on the side of town and is subjected to being no more than an animal. Now, we can argue, is this 
what literally happened to the king. Is this a figurative, tall tale turn of speech? But all of that is beside the point. We get this idea that this guy who was great, who was powerful, who was prideful, who was obsessed with himself, ignored God, ignored the needs of those around him. He fell and he fell hard. He was put into this place of great pain and great embarrassment, all just because of his ego and his pride. And so when we look at this story, we can do one of two things. We can look and say, well, that's a crazy story, but there's no way it applies to me. I am not a king. I don't have any power, so I don't have anything to worry about. Or we can be honest. We can be honest and realize that Nebuchadnezzar's story is, in fact, our story, too. We have the capability, we have the tendency to be prideful, too. We can build up our own egos so much that it hurts others around us, too. We might not be kings, but we have our own levels of power and our own levels of privilege. And we can be selfish with those, too. We can refuse to see the power and privilege that we do have and unwilling to use it to help those around us. We have a responsibility to love God and to love neighbor. In fact, Jesus said that was the greatest commandment, but sometimes our pride gets in the way. We don't want to step into the shoes of another in need. We don't want to set aside stereotypes and preconceived notions to fully understand what those around us are going through. Whether we are talking about homelessness, gun violence, alcoholism, addiction, hunger, mental health, disability, poverty, sexism, racism, any other ism, it is countercultural for us to set aside our pride, our egos, our self, to set all of those things aside and enter into those shoes. It is easier to focus just on ourselves. It's easier to focus on how big and how beautiful our own tree we're building up is. Here's the thing. The, the tree is central to this dream. And we know trees can do two things. They can be big and they can be cumbersome and they can prevent growth around them. Or they can be helpful and life-giving and support life around it. But in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, we see... A warning, yes. But in this story, we also see hope. We see how drastic and terrible and embarrassing this fall is. And yes, it reminds us how serious a sin of out-of-control pride and out-of-control egos can be. In this story, we see that it angered God so much that Nebuchadnezzar was sent like a wild animal out into the field. But yet in this story, we also see hope. See, starting in verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar has a realization. 
At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I praised the Most High. My honor and my splendor came back to me for the glory of my kingdom. My associates and my princes wanted to be with me again. Not only was I reinstated over my kingdom, but I received more power than ever before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, worship, magnify, and glorify the King of heaven. All his works are truth. All his paths are justice. And he is able to humble all who walk in pride. Nebuchadnezzar saw the error of his ways. He recommitted to God. He recommitted to justice. And he and his kingdom were restored. And so that same restoration is possible for us. It's possible for our communities. It's possible for our world, friends. The same God who brought justice and humility to the kingdom of Babylon and the life of Nebuchadnezzar, that same God is available to us too. A world with more empathy and less pride is possible. A world with more justice and less ego is possible. What's important to remember is that world that we want, it begins with us. Just this week, I was sitting with one of our church families in the hospital, and they were discussing how much they love this church. And it wasn't that they loved the music, or they thought the preaching was at least okay, or they liked that the sanctuary was pretty. What they brought up was they said, this church represents love. That this is a church that loves its neighbors. That feeds children through kids pack, which empathizes with and tackles real poverty in our world through Zoe and Powers. Which seeks to bring affordable and transitional housing in our communities through organizations like Talbot House, Salvation Army, and even Polk County Peace. We have the power and the ability to learn from this story of Nebuchadnezzar today. Whether you have a lot of time, a little time, or anything in between. We can all do our part to work for justice and work for empathy in our world. I encourage you to take a look at our website, look at our bulletin, talk to one of your pastors. There are ways big and small, that we can all get involved to help. We can learn from Nebuchadnezzar, and we can let there be peace and justice on earth. It just has to begin with us. Let's close in prayer together. God, we thank you for the bravery of Daniel And for this journey of Nebuchadnezzar we see in the scriptures. May we learn today from this story. May we be emboldened. May we be empowered to empathize with our neighbors and make a difference in this world. Amen. 
as we prepare to go from this place, we know we have experienced the grace of Christ. We have experienced the love of God. And that's not something to boast about. That's something to share. It's something to take and go and make a difference in this world. So as we go from this place, may we know that. May we know that we are loved by God to be love and be a blessing to those around us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.